This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. Scripture is holy. It is sanctified, set apart from any and all other writings that we have ever had and will ever exist. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. If you have no desire to know who God is, then can you even be sure that he knows you? The gates of hell itself, or the coronavirus itself, will not stand against Jesus building his church. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who knows the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? This is Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. I am Drew, your host, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Chris and Josh. We are a podcast production of Faithful Life Ministries, where we approach church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint, and you would be surprised how many churches don't actually have a biblical standpoint. We are on Patreon, so if you would like to partner with us, head on over to patreon.com slash theology and become a subscriber. If you'd like to donate to us the old-fashioned way, Faithful Life Ministries is a registered 501c3 nonprofit ministry, so your donation is tax-deductible. Reach out to us for how you can donate. But on today's episode, I wanted to start by reading a passage of Scripture from the book of Nahum. So Nahum one seven reads, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Today, we want to discuss a topic that I don't think gets talked about enough, and it is something that every person will face at some point, and I'll actually say multiple times in their life. This is something that we will face continually and that is grieving. And I want to frame the discussion around the question, how should the Christian grieve? Now, grief is not only limited to death, but for this episode, I think it's important to hone in on that category because death brings with it a finality. It brings us face-to-face with our own mortality, and there are various ways in which we can respond. So some will resort to disconnecting from relationships entirely for a season. Some may resort to uh, self-medication, such as alcohol or other drugs. Others may attempt to suppress the grief in order to masquerade around as though nothing is actually wrong. And there are those who also uh, have collective outward displays of anger that you know, we have all seen recently in the news. Um, All of these are ways of dealing with a grieving heart. However, none of these are a display of how the believer, the one who puts their faith in Christ, should grieve. So what we want to do is take a look at what scripture has to say about how we are to grieve and give you some practical helps. Uh, And I want to start by talking about really kind of the shock of grief, that initial moment when you get the word that something has transpired and grief hits you. And I want to read from a passage from The Diary and Life of Andrew Benar. And I have several quotes from him that hopefully we'll be able to get to, but if not, that's okay. But this passage that I'm going to read from his diary is in reference to the passing of his close friend, Robert Murray McShane. So Andrew Benar says this, he says, Never, never, yet in all my life have I felt anything like this. It is a blow to myself, to his people, to the Church of Christ in Scotland. And then he makes a plea to the Lord, but he cries out, he says, My heart is sore. It makes me feel 
death, it, it makes me feel death near myself now. Life has lost half its joy. So there we kind of see in Andrew Bernard that, that initial shock of grief that he clearly has never felt before. But this is something that would actually prepare him for later on in his life when, when Andrew's wife dies. So I'll, I'll leave it there and open it up to you guys. Yeah, I think um, I think it's important to to start off, I guess, by saying like you know, grief grief's a real thing. We all experience it in one form or another, and everyone, including Christ Himself, dealt with grief, dealt with sadness. That you know, um, in in many different contexts, I think ultimately death, the grief uh, in the context of death, is uh, the most common. But uh, yeah, grief over, grief over death, grief over broken relationships, grief over one sin, grief over uh, the, a broken world that needs Jesus. Um, I think yeah. grief is a grief is a part of being human, and it is a consequence of the fall because without sin there would be no need for grief. But I think we need to state right off the bat that grief in and of itself is not a bad thing. That's right. Grief, uh, more than often, is a very appropriate and healthy response mm-hmm. to a certain, uh, you know, to to a circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, grief is not sin. No. Grief is not wrong. Um, we are encouraged in Scripture to grieve with those that grieve. Yeah. Uh, Christ shows us that grieving in certain in certain contexts is an appropriate response. And of all people who had the ability to change the circumstances, uh, Christ he grieved and he mm-hmm. cried and he wept over uh, the death of Lazarus. Um, and so, so grief grief is a natural part of life because of the fall. It is something we all deal with, and it's a, a very important thing to, I think, talk about um, and not talk about it in in the context that I think a lot of Christians, I think a lot of Christians just naturally view grieving and the grieving process as a, as either a bad or a, a negative thing, um, and that's not true. It's not true, and I think no. we need to get away from. I and I, <laughs> this word has been hijacked so much, but but I think we do need to get away from the stigma that grief can bring, um, because I think there's a lot of things that are worth grieving about, and the grief, yeah. grief, and the grieving process can actually be a very God honoring, God glorifying, healthy right. thing, right. a, a right. gospel centered thing, yeah. uh, if if done correctly. That's right. Yeah, I want to touch on real quick because you said, uh, and I think rather importantly, that grieving is not sin. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, one of the things that Andrew Benar and I would encourage every listener to grab a copy from the Banner of Truth of Andrew Benar's uh, diary and life. But one thing he says in reference to his wife's passing was that the Lord does not forbid us to mourn. Absolutely. And, and nor does he leave us without blessing as well. Nor does he leave us without an example of him, of he himself doing so. And that, uh, you know, I think, I think obviously the, the multiple examples uh, that we see uh, throughout the scriptures. And there, there are a couple of places that I was going to, you know, during, during this episode, wanted to kind of camp out and take a look at what scripture does say. Um, But you look at Christ on the cross um, you look at there, he's quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning, uh, Psalm 22 verse one says, but, um, Jesus was meditating on the word of God and drawing strength in his humanity and in distress while hanging on the cross, of course, in our place, but there was grief there. You back up to the garden of Gethsemane, there's grief to the point of shedding blood um, uh, there in that moment. And, uh, and and we do, we see all throughout uh, the Psalms. I mean, you have uh, multiple examples of the, the psalmist uh, grieving in 
Um, and, and I'll get into it once, once we kind of, once we get there, but, uh, grief is a very real thing. When you look at, uh, all of the, the, there are multiple words in the scriptures, uh, for our English word mourn. Um, and, uh, and I know we're going to get there, but there's the, the strongest one our Lord used in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are those who mourn. And of course he was referring to mourning as Joshua referred to grieving over one's sin. So grief is very cleansing. Uh, it is it is it is purifying, um, and it is a way that we, in our humility, uh, acknowledge number one God's sovereignty, but and and number two our humanity, um, in in that when when death comes, when uh, when, when the surprise, as you guys said, of, of grief happens, uh, how do we handle that? Um, you know, the world says on one point, be strong, bury it, which we all know what happens when you do that. Uh, but at the same time, we don't, we don't want to lament and mourn so much that that becomes an idol. Uh, we don't, we do not, as Thessalonians say, says mourn as those who have no hope. So, uh, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, we want to make sure that in our grieving process, we're not losing our identity in the one we're grieving over or, right. or whatever it is that, that we happen to be uh, displaying grief over. Uh, we, we need to make sure that our identity first is found in Christ. And then from our identity in Christ, who, like you said, gave us the example of, of have, how to grieve, uh, we, then, we then proceed from there in displaying that in our, in our grieving process. So we, we need to make sure that our identity is not found in the wrong area. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. Uh, uh, so uh, a while back, uh, I guess it wasn't that long, although it feels like it was forever ago, uh, because 2020 feels like the longest year ever, uh, <laughs> uh, personally, and, uh, and, and just what's going on in the world. Um, I, I did a little two-part, two-week um, unpacking of Psalm 77, uh, which Psalm 77 has been a staple of mine throughout the years um in in moments of grief um uh very very recently uh in fact so um and 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 in psalm 77 you see uh the the psalmist here gives us a, a wonderful example of how we are to grieve when when he says uh, my voice rises to god and i will cry aloud my voice rises to god and he will hear me in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night, I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders this, will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? I mean, so, so you see there the first nine verses, uh, oh, I'm sorry, there's one more verse 10. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. So you see that the psalmist is pouring out his heart. My soul refused to be comforted. That there, there, is, there is no comforting me. When I remember God, I, I'm disturbed. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am upset. Um, when I remember God and 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 the, His promises, and when I'm going through whatever I'm going through, whenever I'm feeling. Um, you know, you've held my eyelids open. How many times have we felt that way? That we are just so troubled and so grieved that we, I, I, I can't lift my head. I can't lift my eyes. Um, you know, so, so the psalmist puts it wonderfully here. Um, and, then, and then he shifts. Um, you know, we'll get into that in a second. So I just wanted to pause there, fellas. And anything you wanted to add just concerning? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's important. And Chris, I think, I think that's the perfect segue into, into because obviously we're going to talk about what grief is and, yeah. and, and the response and how we deal with grief. And I think it's, it's the perfect time to say that, that 
And <laughs> what I'm about to say is really anti-reformed. <laughs> um, but in at least in the cases that I have been involved with, both personally and counseling those that are in grief, um, simply telling them God is sovereign does not bring the level of comfort needed. Um, there is such a thing as, as dark providence. And sure, is God sovereign? Yes, he is. Is he working this situation for the betterment and the good of his people? Yes, he is. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was a, a new Calvinist, if you will, believing just saying God is sovereign is going to fix everything. How many times I, I got the stare back mm. and the realization that it's like, yeah, I know he's sovereign. And because I know that, I know this is happening because he wants it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't understand that. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. we need to be very careful. Like my, my grandfather, I remember hearing a story uh, that he told he lost his first wife to uh, leukemia. Mm. Um, and I remember him and he, he, he was always very private. Uh, never really talked about it, but I remember him saying, it's like, Josh, in those moments, the doctrine of God's complete sovereignty was a curse and not a comfort. Oh yeah. Yep. And that was kind of the first thing I was like, wow. Yeah. We need to, we need to do better. Mm -hmm. We need to do more than simply spout out theological doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about that very thing earlier today is that how many times do we do we hear that something happens and we we just hear whether it be from a friend or a pastor well god's sovereign god's sovereign mm -hmm. that th that right there brings no comfort uh yeah. you know it's just unloving. like yeah it's unloving because we already know that that's true but in that time that's that's not what that individual needs. That individual needs ministering to, right? In uh, assurance of God's goodness, and I think one of the things we need to make sure that we don't allow uh, is God's character to be called into question. Mm -hmm. Because how often have have believers right? Some something happens, and then immediately the the believer there their affections are turned away from God, right? Mm -hmm. This, this God that was loving and, and, and this and that and the other uh, theological truth, but in the moment there's such pain and there's hurt uh, and they need ministering to, they don't need just spouting off of theological no. truths. Like you said, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't need a sermon. They don't, right. they don't need a systematic theology class on grief. Right. They need somebody to sit with them in silence yeah. And that, that's another thing. I think that's another great point is sometimes when, when grief happens, people come in and they think that they have to say something. Yeah. Sometimes no. the best thing you can do is just be silent and be mm -hmm. with that person. Look at Job's friends, right? Everybody always, always just chastises them for the way they responded eventually. But at first, they got it right. right. At yeah. first, it was just, <laughs> they just sat. They just, they were just silent while, you know, listening to this and, and, and seeing what was going on and, and, and responding to that. And then uh, also, you know, what you guys said is absolutely true. I mean, and, and that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 77, when I remember God, then I'm disturbed, you know, so it's, you don't want to call into the, you don't want to call into question God's holy character and just leave it there. If you're going to say that God is sovereign, you have to follow that up mm -hmm. with the fact that yes, he's sovereign, but he's also our perfect heavenly father. Right. And we have to remember who he is as our perfect heavenly father. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and Josh, I, I love the way you said that dark provision, um, you know, otherwise known as, as, as it can be a form of discipline, not because you did something wrong, 
but uh, you know, as 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 what is the purpose of our sanctification? Yeah, to conform that's... us more and more into the image of, of Christ. And mm-hmm. we all we all love Romans eight twenty eight, and we all like to quote that right to people that are going through. Uh, hard times for, uh, and we know that, that, that God causes all things to work together for good for, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But then we forget verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Right. And, and, and that's, that's the problem with cherry picking verses is correct. Is if you just give somebody Romans eight twenty eight in a time of grieving, they are left with more questions. Well, what is the good? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't see any, right. Good, right. See right. Any good in this scenario. Right. I don't, I don't, there's, there's nothing here that is good. Um, and you need to follow Well, no, the good is that you, you get Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I want to, uh, I, I think that, that that's a good transition into this. Uh, oh, you got one thing to add. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. W- one thing or two, you know, um, and, and, and we need to remember this, not just when we are bearing one of those burdens. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously it, it's going to be it, how you respond to that person is going to depend on where they are mm-hmm. as far as their theology. It's going to depend mm-hmm. on where they are as far as their, their level of sanctification. Um, and, and, and that is going to, that, that is why you have to listen, be quick to listen but remember, remember this believer, um, when you yourselves are going through grief, look at the example of the psalmist. And let me, let, let me, let me also point us back to Jesus in the garden, because the example of the psalmist here is it's a posture of prayer. Yes, he's crying out. He is lamenting. We don't know what the source of his trouble is. We don't need to know the source. It's it's about the response. We will face trouble, right? John 16, 33. We will. We, we, are, we, we are to take heart and to take courage and rest in his work, but it's a posture of prayer. It's a cry. He turns to God first and second and third. Um, and it wasn't working, but and, and, and remembering God is causing him distress. But look at what Jesus did in the garden. How many times did he go and pray? So that, is, that has to be the first thing. Uh, that you yourself, when going through moments of grief, heartache, tribulation, trial, pray, 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 and remind yourself of the character of God. So that's, yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, so I wanted to, because that brings up this this entry from Andrew Benar on the day that his wife died. Um, and this is what this is what he says. He says, oh, what a wound. Last night, most suddenly, after three hours sinking, my dear, dear Isabella was taken from me. Lord, pour in your comfort, for I cannot. It needs the Holy Ghost to work at such a time. And then he continues, he says, I have needed this affliction. It brings to my remembrance sins of many, many kinds, Neglected prayer, neglected thanksgiving, self-indulgence, my life too much a life for myself and family. Lord, let me not love thee less but more because of this stroke, and from this day may I work more for the ingathering of souls. So that, I mean, I mean he, he sees the strike of grief right there in his wife, but the first thing he does is he cries out to the Lord for comfort because yeah. there's nothing that in, in and of himself that he can't, he can do this. This is something that only comes from God. But then he goes on to say, to recognize that this affliction is something that he needed. He recognized mm. there was a purpose in it and it was something that he needed and it brought him, it brought sins to mind, drove him to repentance and really, we see a, a stronger dedication coming out for the ingathering of souls because he was a pastor. Um, he was a preacher. Right. So I'll open it up there. Yeah, I, I, well, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, go back to Psalm 77. Um, you know, you, you, you notice the 
the lament, the prayer, and then he's he's reminding himself and meditating on and and crying out and wrestling with himself and asking questions, and then uh, you know he he got to the point to where there there was a comeback. Um, you know when 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 you are walking through um, grief, there there has to be a point um, when when you as a believer must recognize. Again, the character and the sovereignty of God, not just using that flippantly, um, but the fact that we need to, as Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, quote, fly back my soul away from present turmoil, close quote. Um, and, and we see here um, the psalmist saying, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord in verse 11. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate. I will ponder. I will focus. I will remember and call to mind and call to attention because we are not to be led around by our emotions. We are to be led by the truth. Um, it doesn't mean we don't acknowledge and feel those emotions, but we have to be led and tempered by the truth, uh, the truth found in scripture uh, and then the truth and the facts that may surround us. So he's saying that he said, I'm going to, I'm going to call to attention. I'm going to put at the forefront of my mind, the, the deeds, the acts, the practices of the Lord God, the one true God. Um, he says, surely I will, I will remember your wonders of old. Most certainly. Yes, absolutely. I will. Um, I, I, I will remember that again, Spurgeon. I love this quote by Spurgeon. He said, memory is a fit handmaid for faith. I love that quote. We have to remember the extraordinary, hard to fathom, wonderful deeds uh, that God is, uh, what he has done, and, and then who he is. Isaiah 9, 6, he is a wonderful counselor. Um, and so the psalmist starts, he just starts rocking through and remembering who God is and what he has done. And you, you feel the mood change. When you're reading through that psalm, and I'll never forget the first time I read it, uh, because the first time I read it, I was in tears reading verses 1 through 10. And then the, the confidence that the Holy Spirit gave me uh, reading verses 11 through 20 was unbelievable. Um, so we have to remember that there's purpose. We have to remember that we are called to be conformed more and more to the image of God. And listen, that's not just me just sitting here saying this right now. I'm not going to get into uh, what's going on, what's happened in my life and my family's life personally recently within the last week, but just know grief hit us hard this week. Um, and we have walked through Psalm 77. My wife and I actually talked about Romans 8, 28 and 29 today. Um, so I'll pause right there and let you guys kind of keep going. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, and in the book, um, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, um, which I think is an actually a very raw and real book when it comes to discussing grief, because in, in C.S. Lewis, in this, he, doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. He asks a lot of questions that I think the natural person uh, the, would, it, will ask. Uh, and I think it's a very, especially if you're going through grief, I think it's a good book to read. It's very um, ecclesiastical, if you will. Um, that's a word, meaning it the book of word. Ecclesiastes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but in it, he says that um, he never expected grief to feel so much like fear. Mm, amen. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's very true because grief is a very, although it is part of who we are because of the fall, it is not a natural thing. It was not something that was created uh, before sin. Death and grief and sadness, sorrow are all effects and consequences of the fall. And because of that, because we are made in God's image, those things are very hard to deal with naturally because I don't think we were created uh, as um, what do you say? Vessels of grief. <laughs> we were created, we were created perfect 
to worship God and enjoy him forever. And then we fell and now we are having to deal with all of these things that, uh, although yes, they were in God's plan, we were not created for, we were not created for sin. We were not created for grief. We were created to glorify God and to worship him. And when we're dealing with grief, I think it often feels so much like fear because it is an emotion that especially, especially for those without Christ, it Mm. it's linked to such emptiness. Right. And it's linked to such sadness. Yeah. Like, I mean, even, even to the point of Christ weeping over Lazarus, uh, Christ knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Right. But it was, it was just, just, it was Christ weeping over the effects of the fall this reality that we now have to have to live with because of sin. It's heartbreaking and it's very scary (laughs) and grief can so often feel like fear. So as we're helping, as we're dealing with it ourselves uh, and helping others through it, realize that so much of grief is linked so, so closely to fear right? And again, if somebody is, comes to you and they're scared, uh, it's not going to do much good to say, well, God, God is sovereign and go on in and don't be afraid. No, 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 no. Calvinist favorite response. Calvinist favorite response. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, and it was my favorite response for years. What, what brings comfort? Hey, Josh, God's sovereign. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes, he is. (laughs) What, what, what brings comfort? And I might be jumping the gun here. I don't know if we're getting into how you help with grief, but what I have found brings the most comfort is showing them and leading them to the person that knows what they are going through. Yeah. That knows the fear, that knows the grief and the sorrow and the anxiety. Mm -hmm. The one person that can perfectly empathize with their situation and can be completely and totally sufficient for what they need. I need a savior. I need a Jesus that knows what it is like to be in pain. Mm-hmm. And I have one. Yeah. That is what you lead people to. That is what the loving Christian leads his friends or leads his family, excuse me, his family and leads himself themselves into is mm-hmm. Look at Christ. Look at the advocate that you have. Yeah. Uh, that reminded me, Josh. Sorry, you guys were holding. You were holding still so well. I thought that my <laughs> connection froze. That's how clear you guys are. Look at Hebrews that. four, uh, starting in verse ten, says, "For the one who has entered his rest." has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Uh, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom uh, we have to do. And this is really where I probably should have started, but I wanted to lay that groundwork just for context. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Um, And going back to saying, you know, just the Calvinist, the typical Calvinist response, God is sovereign. Yeah. Well, how do you apply that? And I think that's a good example of how you apply that because the grief that you're going through, whether it be you lost this person or you may have lost a job or, or, or something, right? 
how you apply that is that you're not left without a comforter. Mm-hmm. You, you, you actually have someone, Chris, like you just read, and Josh, like you were talking about, someone that can sympathize with us, someone that knows our pains, our hurts, our struggles, um, and that demonstrated for us how we come through that. And it is only by actually looking to him and leaning on him um, that, that we can actually do that. Not just by, not just, not just by saying he's sovereign. We have to actually start applying that. Right, right, right. And, and well, and look at you know, I think about right now. You know, I, you look around at at what's happened in 2020, and you look at uh, everything with the the pandemic of COVID and locking everything down. You look at the suicide rates are through the roof right now. You look at, um, and it isn't just you know non-believers. It's like, I mean, you're you're seeing more reports in the news of of pastors taking their lives and 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 Christians taking their lives, and uh, for whatever reason, and of course, everything else that's going on right now with protests and riots and and everything else. It's just like, I mean, people don't know how to process their grief. That's part of this. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I brought this up to you guys last week. It's just like. You know, I, I I would love to talk about this just because it's a very very real thing, and 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 grief can be overwhelming. It can absolutely be overwhelming. It can, I mean, it can be overwhelming to the point to where you have those thoughts. Um, you know, God, God forbid. And and but but Amen. And and right on. We 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 turn to our God of comfort. You know, who comforts us in our affliction, as Second Corinthians one tells us. And um, and then also, uh, you know. Well, one of the reasons that we go through what we go through is so that we have opportunity to be able to point others to that God of comfort. And Second Corinthians 1 speaks to that as well. But you, in walking through grief yourself, you have to meditate on. And, and we as, as the church have done such an awful job at this just because we're so distracted by technology. I mean, do we really sit and meditate on the wondrous works of God? Do we really sit and meditate on the holiness of God? That's one of the reasons that I wanted to read uh, A.W. Pink's book this year, and, and, and I did, and was just remembering who God is uh, and meditating on that and dwelling on that instead of circumstance. Um, and, uh, and so that way, when, when those moments of unexpected grief arise, and they will arise for all of us, that's who and what we focus on. Um, so, you know, well, and, and, oh, go ahead, Josh, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 no. I was just going to say grief for the Christian should never, ever be done outside of the context of the local church. Oh, come on. Yes, sir. Because yeah. that's, you can't go through and deal with something like grief on, on your own. We're not, no, we're not no. made to do it because no, what, what, you. what you will naturally do is isolate. What you'll naturally do is pull away. What you'll naturally do is internalize and everyone deals with grief differently, but everyone deals with it. And you have to do it in the context of your church. That is what the community of believers is for. That's why we are there for each other, is for specifically those types of, of trials. And when I've seen too many people attempt, you know, in an response to grief dis dislocate themselves from the local church and that is the most perhaps the most unhealthy thing that you can do and frankly the most dangerous thing that you can do yes so if you are in grief today if you're listening to this and you're grieving over you know what whatever it is um, and you feel that pull to internalize and not let people in and deal with it yourself um, I would, I would humbly suggest to you that, 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 that is the enemy attempting to isolate you. Yes. Yes, it is. And if you're a pastor or an elder listening to this, then you have a responsibility to care for uh, the, the sheep, that, that the flock of God among you, to shepherd them. You are called to uh, mourn with those who mourn. You you rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep, and uh, and you're you're called to care for them and walk with them uh, through uh, through whatever they're dealing with. I mean, it's not, um, it, you know, Galatians six. And of course, this is this is talking about sin. But when 
and saying bear one another's burdens. And I've heard so many people right now take that out of context when it comes to social issues, but we're not going to go there. Um, but bear one another's burdens and therefore and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, you can you can and you should. Uh, apply that to, to grief as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to the to the pastor and elder, uh, yes, you do that, but you continue to give the truth. You don't do so the way that the world does. Uh, but to the believer and church member, you have a responsibility to allow your pastors and elders to do that. Don't mm-hmm. don't isolate and 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 pull back. Remember, you need a shepherd. You yes, we have the great high priest, the the chief shepherd, but you need that under shepherd to walk with you uh, through whatever you're dealing with. Well, and and that's it's it's for that specific reason that and this is I honestly think where so many churches have failed today, and I and and the churches that I see doing this well, I'm so encouraged that we need a we need to create a culture, if you will, of authenticity in the church that allows and encourages people to come to their pastors. Now, there's a lot of ways that you do that. One of the ways that you do that is not having your leadership set themselves up as above their congregation. Mm-hmm. Because oh come on, man. Because I'm not oh, going, oh, 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 I'm oh, not oh. going to be able to go bear my soul to somebody that I know that thinks they're better than me or, or practically sets up this hierarchy where it's just, it's, it's almost this employer employee relationship. We need first and foremost, our, the leaders of our churches to realize that they need to be approachable like Christ. They need to bring themselves down to the level of their people. And they need to realize that they never left that level. <laughs> they are sheep themselves. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. are simply beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Yeah. And we need to remember this. And our churches need to cultivate this culture of, look, if you are dealing with, and, and uh, frankly, another way you do this is having a biblical counseling ministry, having individuals right. in your church that their job is to seek out the hurting and the broken and to bring them to Jesus, right? I think every church should have a counseling ministry. And it breaks my heart when I hear pastors, and I've heard it many, many times when I hear pastors say, well, you know, I don't, I don't really do the counseling thing. And like, that is 80% of your job. That is that preaching is such a small part of what you do as a pastor. It should be 20%. 80 of it should be the care of your people who are hurting and need you. Yeah. Right. And we need as a, as a church to be shifting that focus back to how do we act like Christ to our people? Well, and I think one way is, you know, Josh, to, to, to your point, man, I'll say this. I think, I, I'll, and, and, and I, if I may be so bold as to say, what breaks my heart is that proper pastoral and biblical counseling should happen from the pulpit as well, and is mm-hmm. not. Sure. And and as far as um, true expositional preaching, should counsel. You should, as Dr. Stephen Lawson says, I love this. You read the text, you teach the text, and you exhort with the text. So th- there are so many, and you're seeing this so much right now. What people need is counseling. People need to be sanctified in the truth. And, and what you're seeing from a lot of churches, instead of sanctification coming from the Word of God, counseling coming from the Word of God from the pulpit, is you're seeing topical sermons that have to do with cultural and social issues. That's not what people need. People need the truth. People yeah. need to be pointed back to Scripture. And where that happens, the primary means of grace that that happens is from the pulpit. And then to echo and amen what you just said. I have heard within the last year, a pastor say that mm-hmm. I don't do counseling. I, yeah. that, that's not my cup of tea. And, 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 and then my loving response to that, to quote Dr. John MacArthur, go home. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and again, it needs, it, it needs to be both because I, I think, I think yes. it is a very easy trap to fall into that Correct. to think that, well, just because I'm preaching expositionally, therefore that, 
that's no, sufficient. I agree. I know, no, I, and no, I agree and, with you. And, just, and what's scary yeah. is, oh man, I I was talking who I was talking to, um, some individuals that came to our church from another church who Pat the pastor literally took that stance. It was that exact stance that because he preaches on Sunday morning, that is all the counsel people need. No, he, he gives them everything that they should need from the pulpit. He refused to do one-on-one discipleship and one-on-one counseling, and that blew my mind because just the. <laughs> Just, just the thought of him thinking that all I need to do is be up here on Sunday morning and this is all you need. Then you're a preacher, you're not a pastor. Exactly. Thank you. And there is such a huge distinction. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think, cause I think we're starting to get into a little bit of the, the role of, of pastor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, well, yeah. I, I started on counseling. Sorry. <laughs> well, well, so no, 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 it's good no, though. That's, it's good. So, so, so that is, and I want to hit on a couple things about that before, you know, bringing it back to actual grieving um, is that the importance of the pastor being a counselor from the pulpit, we see that there's one man today that I think does it very well. And his name's John Snyder from Christ church in New Albany, Mississippi. Um, he's a part of media gratier, but when you, when you listen to him preach, you, you can hear the counseling from the pulpit, but uh, we see that, that, that type of pastoring where the job is is 80% counseling and and shepherding and 20% preaching. We see that in a lot of the Puritans. Mm -hmm. We see that in guys. uh, So so, so this right here that you you got, uh, Chris and Josh can see this, but you guys listening can't see this. Come on, listeners, open your eyes. Can't you see this? This is a a small little book. It's, It's called Pastoral Letters, and it's by Robert Murray McShane. And this is a collection of 10 letters that were written in 1839. Now, he had to take a leave from, from his church because he was very sick. But from, in, from being sick in bed, he would write pastoral counseling letters to people at his church, either individuals or to the congregation collectively. Now, this other book that I'm holding up is uh, Letters of Samuel Rutherford where this is a collection of letters that he wrote uh, from prison. And one of them in particular is the very first letter in this, the, this Puritan paperback um, is uh, to a Christian gentlewoman over the death of her daughter. And he's yeah. ministering to her yeah. on, on, about grieving over the death of her daughter uh, through a letter from prison. So um, the, I mean, to echo what you guys are saying is that the primary job of a pastor, and we see this all throughout pastoral history Mm -hmm. is the shepherding and counseling of that, of the pastor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, did, did you have some, some to add? Uh, no, I, I was just going to say another another great work to check out where you see this, uh, uh, the Great Awakening. Uh, I mean, you you see uh, guys like Ed, Edwards and, and, and Whitfield, and uh, uh, I'm reading um, a pastor of, uh, of Kilsyth right now um, and working my way through that biography. And, uh, and, and you see that. The, 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 obviously, yes, they put a massive emphasis on proper exposition. Um, you know, but, but, but if I can, if I can just be very simple, uh, because I'm a simple minded guy, uh, you know, when you think about just, just the picture of a shepherd, okay. Right. Shepherd carries a stick to keep the sheep in line and to fend off the wolves. But the shepherd doesn't just yell at the sheep. Hey, go over there, eat this grass, clean up yourself. No, he's hands on. He's hands on. Look at how Christ is with us. Mm -hmm. Right. Look at the example of our elder brother and king, Jesus. Um, for any pastor to stand up and say, I don't do counseling, or as a lead pastor, if you're just going to pawn that off uh, to another elder and you yourself is not doing it, then you sincerely need to change your job title and sincerely consider the calling that the Lord has placed on your life. Now, um, I, I want to, to to bring it back to to grieving. Um, Josh, um, this is something I would like for you to speak into. Um, adults are not the only ones who grieve. Oh, 
gosh. There are a, a lot of times things happen within a family and the children are greatly affected by it. But I think the children are often the most neglected in dealing with their grief. So how would you speak into that from a pastoral standpoint, from a biblical counseling standpoint? Sure. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 it's true. I think children, um, I think a couple of things. First, I think children are much more resilient than we actually give them credit for. Yes, they are. Um, and I'm speaking as a, as a former children's ministry pastor. I know this to be true. Um, they so retain- we don't have to like coddle them and kind of dumb things down for them. We can be honest. Yeah. Children are pretty smart. They retain Very. a lot. Yes, they do. They're sponges um, for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, the formula, if you will, or the remedy is the exact same. It's just applied to a child and it's leading this child, realizing that, look, this child, whatever it is that they're grieving over, maybe their parents divorced and they don't understand why mom or dad isn't coming home or they had a brother or sister who, who died and they don't understand why they don't see them anymore. Um, I think it's important to realize one that they're not going to understand things the way that adults do. They're not going to be able to um, put, uh, connect all those dots, but that doesn't mean that they are incapable of, of understanding truth. Yes. Um, yes. So when we're dealing with kids, who are, who are struggling with grief and sadness. And the remedy is the same. You take that child and you use the situation that they are in as an opportunity to show them the gospel, to show them Christ and to show them their need for it. Cause this sadness that you're feeling right now, you know, speaking to the kid, uh, be, there's a reason we're sad and it's because bad things happen. And bad things happen because there's this thing called sin and sin affects all of us and sin hurts and sin is horrible and God hates sin. And you know what? We all do bad things. We're all sinners. All of us are, but there's an answer to that. And that person is Jesus. Jesus can come into our lives, cleanse us of our sin and it doesn't mean that everything might, that doesn't mean everything's going to get better, but it gives you hope. Jesus is the answer. Mm-hmm. And don't waste the grief, whether you are a human, or excuse me, whether you're an adult um, or whether you're a child, don't, don't waste the grief because it is such an opportunity for Christ to show himself to you in a way that would not be possible if you had not gone through it. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact same with kids. Be patient with them. Understand they don't, they're not going to understand everything that's going on, but don't, don't waste that opportunity. Lead them to Christ, show them Christ. And don't, you don't have to lie to them. It's okay. Just, just as adults, just, it's the same with adults. Sometimes it's a very, very appropriate reaction to say, you know what? This sucks. This is horrible. And I don't understand why this happens. And it's good for your kids to hear you say that. It's good for your kids to hear mom and dad say, I don't understand. I don't have the answer, Mm -hmm. but I know Jesus does because that makes Jesus look so big in their eyes mm-hmm. and you don't want to lose that. If you can ingrain that in your kids when they are young and sponges. And so you like, if you can make God, if you can make him the answer, if you can make Jesus big and powerful, then I think you have done your job as a parent. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, I know. I kind of just sprung that one on you. You were, probably weren't ready for that one. But, <laughs> I wasn't ready for the kids' question. Yeah, yeah. but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. But but no, I think because I, I I mean I think when uh, whenever I hear someone discussing about grief and, and grieving or bereavement, uh, they 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 neglect how how children deal with this. 
Um, mm-hmm. they, they don't talk about that. So, so no one actually understands how to explain these things and bring it to children. Yeah. Well, well, and again, like, like, here's the thing, the, in the exact same way that we want to cultivate a culture in the church. So it's easy for its members to come to the elders when they are hurting. Parents need to do the same thing for their kids. I think that's a good parallel. Yeah, yeah. yeah because that's great. Yeah. because so many kids, every kid's going to deal with it differently. Some kids wear their emotions on their on their sleeve, and will tell you everything that's in, that that's in their mind, and you don't need to do much digging. <laughs> it's it's all out there. Mm-hmm. Other kids will clam up, keep it to themselves, yeah. won't say a word, and are silently suffering. And it's your job as a parent to lovingly, graciously probe and dig and be like, okay, it's okay to talk about these things. I'm hurting too. Be vulnerable with your kids. Be vulnerable with your kids and tell them, look, I'm not perfect. I'm struggling. I'm sad. I'm scared. I'm afraid. It's Mm. good for your kids to hear you say that because after you say that, then you point them to the person that makes you not Mm. afraid anymore. Yeah. Right. We wow. live in such a culture that wants to set up dads and moms as the heroes to their kids. You know, make Jesus the hero of your kids. That's right. That's right. Right. Tell your child, I'm afraid and I'm scared. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give them the confidence to be like, wow, my dad, my dad's afraid. Mm-hmm. My dad is sad. My mom and dad are crying right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That must that, mean it's safe for me to do it too. Yeah. That, that brings mom and dad down to a more personable level, right? Where, yes. I mean, and that, uh, the, the parallel you made between the elders and the congregation and stuff, I think, I think, and what we just talked about regarding the, the position of a pastor is the making of oneself available mm-hmm. because a, a lot of parents, if they don't know how to handle this situation with children, what do they do? Well, they seek the, the Christian therapist or mm-hmm. or whatever and they pawn that off on someone else rather than actually being personable with their children and opening up themselves to their children and and allowing their children to actually come to them uh right. with whatever and, and, it is and and, and you know, just as speaking as a parent uh you know as as my son gets older um i mean it's one of those things that they may come to you and they may be dealing with something and you don't, you as a parent don't know how to deal with that. You, mm-hmm. you're, you may, sh- don't shy away from uh, being that for them. Mm-hmm. Turn to the word of God, mm-hmm. turn to the word of God. You don't have all the answers, but guess who does the Holy spirit who lives in you, who also wrote this book mm-hmm. knows the answers turn to God's word um, and realize and, and, and confirm as, as, as Peter said, that we've been by his divine power, he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that parallel also goes for pastors too, right? I mean, you, I don't know how to counsel people. You know, I've, I've never, you know, I've, I've never dealt with X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Well, guess what? Scripture is sufficient mm-hmm. for everything, all things, all translated in the Greek means all. It, it everything as it pertains to life and godliness. Well, and, and and don't don't underestimate whether you're a parent doing this for your kid or whether you're a pastor doing this for somebody in your congregation. Don't underestimate the power uh, and and the relationship that can be formed by telling that person, "Look, I don't have all the answers. Yes, this yes. is going to be new be for honest. me. Yeah. This is going to be new for me. Mm-hmm. I don't understand everything you're going through, and I'm yeah. not going to pretend that I do. Yeah. But what I do know is that Jesus is sufficient for this problem. Yeah. Or even, or or, or even saying, just like you said, I don't have all the answers, but you know what? We're going to walk through it together. Together. Exactly. Exactly. Or again, we are simply beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. That's right. Yeah. And I think we, Josh, you touched on it a little bit and that's all this grief really needs to, it needs to point somewhere Mm -hmm. and it needs to point to our hope, right? What our hope is at the end of the day. That's right. Yes. Oh, you, oh, you already got something up. Go ahead. I've got, uh, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. This is exactly where I was hoping we were going to conclude it. This, this quote is from my man, Charles Spurgeon, talking about grief uh, and the hope that we have. He says, the Christian also knows disappointment as bitter and as intense as other men and women. Judas betrayed Christ. 
Atithophel as a traitor to David. We have had our Atithophels and we may yet meet our Judas. We have trusted in friends and we have found their relationships fail. We have leaned on what seemed to be a staff as it has pierced us like a spear. You cannot, dear friend, pass through the wilderness of this world without discovering that thorns and thistles grow abundantly in it, and that, step as you may, your feet must sometimes feel the sudden and unexpected wound. The sea of life is salt to all men. Clouds hover over every landscape. We may forget to laugh, but we will always know how to weep. As the saturated clouds must drip, so must the human race, cursed by the fall, Weep out of its frequent griefs. In heaven, the redeemed will never suffer the grief associated with attending funerals of their friends and loved ones. The gravedigger and the casket do not exist there. The horrid thought of death never enters the mind of an immortal spirit. They are never separated. The greet, excuse me. The great meeting has taken place, and God's children will never separate again. In heaven, they have no losses and crosses in business. They serve God day and night in his temple. There are no broken friendships there. There are no broken hearts, no shattered dreams. They know fully, even as they are fully known, and they love even as they are loved. No pain can ever come on them. For their resurrected bodies will be raised from the grave and will be glorified. Thus they will be not capable of grief. The tears will not exist, although much of the human body remains. At least the tears will be gone. They will have no need of them. Their bodies will be unable, unable to experience grief. They will rejoice forever. Poverty, famine, distress, helplessness, danger, persecution, slander, all these things have ceased. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, and therefore tears will never flow again. That's our hope. Amen. Amen. Chris, final thoughts? we need to remember um, for those of us who are in Christ uh, you know often we talk about the sovereignty of God right we, we've been talking about that a good bit the Calvinist favorite comeback um, but we also rest in the love of God as a perfect father Mm-hmm. knowing that uh, um, what is coming for those of us who are in Christ is Christ. And we rest in the fact that nothing, we will never be able to comprehend what is the, the breadth, the depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's where we rest. That's where we run. That's where we collapse in moments of grief. And to, to echo those wonderful words that Josh read by the Prince of Preachers, who was also a counselor of counselors. Uh, I, I'm, I, you're reading that, Josh, and, and, and immediately I'm, I'm thinking of Revelation 21.4. And he will. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away the uh the cup of grief is without a doubt a bitter tasting cup and it is a cup that may not, for, for those who drink of it, that may not get less bitter over time. But let that drive you 
all the more to the one cup that is forever refreshing and is forever sustaining. Uh, just as Jesus told the woman at the well, uh, he, it is he that has the living water. Uh, just as Jesus spoke in John 7 um, on the final day of the feast, that all who thirst, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So while we may walk through this life having to partake of, of, of grief, uh, I want to give you an assurance that if you thirst, run to Christ and drink of him often. None of us grieve as those who have no hope. That's right. This might be my favorite episode we've done, guys. I don't know. We might just want to wrap it up like at, like as a podcast. Shut down. <laughs> be like, I do, there's nowhere to go from here. <laughs> we done talked about heaven. Y'all got me wanting to go there right now. Like <laughs> well, can I can I just say that uh also for those Drew, can I just piggyback on what you said for mm. for a moment? Um for those of us, and we all, not not if, but when we drink the bitter mm -hmm. cup of grief, yes. when, not if, mm -hmm. that 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 there may there may always continue to be that bitter taste in your mouth in this life, but not in the life to come. Mm -hmm. um, and not to get into anything right now, but to remember that uh, just because we may experience injustice in this life doesn't mean that it's non-justice, that justice will not be served. Um, and again, that's where we rest and we hope in who our God is and who our perfect Heavenly Father is. So I just maybe Drew, when you said that, made me think of, we may not see it uh, here, but uh, but he is perfect in every way. So That's right. Well, with that, we hope that uh, this discussion on grief uh, helped give you some practical advice that you can apply uh, for the moments, whatever they may be, when you face grief. Um, so we are going to get out of here, and we hope that this was a blessing to you. See you later. Later.